Hello and welcome back to the Echoes Big Interview with me, Neil Jones. I'm joined by my co-host, Neil Meller, for episode three. And thanks again for all the feedback that you've had from the first two with Jan Mulvey and Simon Mignolet. Um Make sure you subscribe as well at Audio Boom, www.audioboom.com forward slash blood red or forward slash royal blue, depending on your persuasion, red or blue. Um, I'm delighted to say today we've got someone who could fit into both categories, someone who's uh, had the, the honour of playing competitively for both, but I think he'd tell us, and I think everyone else would tell us, that he's more fondly remembered by the, the blue half, and he has more fond memories of the blue half than the red as well. I'm joined by Kevin Sheedy. Thanks very much for giving up your time this morning, Kevin. My pleasure. Yeah. Um, going all right? You're uh, under-18s coach at Everton with a Finch Farm today, and it's not been a bad start to the season for you guys? No, we're doing okay. Uh, we didn't start. We lost the first three games. We weren't as strong as what we could be, uh, so we got off to a bit of a slow start. But uh, the last ten games, we've won six and drawn four, so we're, we're unbeaten. Um, the lads are really, uh, you know, improving, which is what you want from from young players. So um, we we tested ourselves. We got beat by Man City three one early on in the season, um, and we played them Saturday. We were four two up with ten minutes to go, and they scored two late late uh, equalisers. But uh, it just shows how far we've come in a short space of time. So I'm really pleased with the the effort the boys are putting in. And you're enjoying being on the pitch, uh, on the grass, as ever? Indeed, that's where I'm most comfortable. Um, I've been doing the, the under-18s 10 years now, so uh, it's, it's not a job, it's something I love doing. You come to the, the club you love, uh, so I don't see it as a job, it's just what I want to do. I always wondered what a coach, under-18 coach, saw as an achievement. You know, obviously, results are important, that winning mentality, but to you as a coach, developing these players, what's the most important thing? The most important thing is to get them professional careers, so I get just as much pleasure as someone making a debut for, for our first team as somebody making a debut championship team, first team, first division, uh, non-league. You know, you, they come in here, they give everything they've got, and at the end of it, you're trying to develop them into the best players they can be, and hopefully then they can go and get, uh, get a career, you know, if it's not here, somewhere else. I think we can touch more a little bit on the, on the youth side of things later on, but I wanted to go back to the start and, and where it all began for yourself. I think you, you were born in Wales, what part of Wales and what was life like growing up for yourself? Uh, I was born in Bilth, Wales um, and I moved to uh, a pub just outside Hereford when I was f- f- four years old. Um, I was sort of like a bit of a country bumpkin when I lived out in the sticks <laughs> and uh, my practice, uh, I lived in a pub and uh, had big walls on the on the pub there was a, a gents toilet that was like the size of a, of a goal there was big walls there was a one with a window which I practiced my free kicks so really just spent the the early part of my life just kicking the ball against the wall and controlling it so uh, smashing windows <laughs> I smashed it once once so uh, I was uh, I was okay so uh, was it always football for you because I know Wales is a big rugby area isn't it yeah, it is. Yeah, no, it was always football. Um, since I was, I say, since I could kick a ball, that's all I was, I was doing the round ball. Um, so I was, I was self-taught at an early age, um, and then I used to start playing in fates in country fates, with six side tournaments. Uh, I started off in goal to get into a team, and then eventually I worked my way out. And um, you know, I had some great times. My dad used to drive. Uh, he had a big Corsa car, something like that, and he used to drive the seven of us around to all these fates. You know, we'd have uh, so great, great early, early memories. And then when I was about 14, I started playing for Hereford Lads Club, uh, proper 11 side games, and we played in uh, we played teams from the Forest of Dean and all that, real tough teams. Mm. And it was a good education where you booted them and they booted you, and it was yeah. real, uh, you know, proper football. Did you watch much football growing up as well? 
Yeah, I mean, Man United, uh, Bobby Charlton, George Best were my, my heroes growing up. Uh, the World Cup Brazil, uh, 1970, watching all that sort of thing. So I was always keen to, you know, wa watching all those. And uh, I was fortunate when I was 16, um, I played uh, against Fulham. George Best was playing for Fulham at the time, so it was really great to, yeah, yeah. to go on the same pitch. We got B5-1, but to play against one of your heroes was yeah. something I'll always remember. I, I wanted to ask you, because you mentioned all those great names for Manchester United, but one of the greatest names for Hereford was, was John Charles. What was it like being around Hereford at that time when somebody so so talented was about? It was sort of, you know, he was the iconic figure for, for Hereford, um, but my early memories was um, Hereford beating Newcastle in the in the FA Cup. Ronnie Radford scored the, yeah. the best. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's just... It's just Fantastic! I, I missed the game that night. I was ill. Uh, I had the ticket to go to the game, and I couldn't oh. couldn't make it. But uh, it was just fantastic memories. Uh, Ricky Jaws got the winning goal. No one remembers that. They remember yeah. Ronnie Radford's goal. Mm -hmm. um, but just uh, and a, a sort of, I, uh, I was at school and um, I used to go in training with Hereford United. John Sillett was the manager. Um, we went to win the, yeah, the guy, yeah. uh, He was great for me. Uh, he saw my my early potential, and he said to me one day, he said. Uh, See if you can ask your headmaster if you can come in train in the morning. So I wasn't going to take exams in those days. You know, you didn't okay. I didn't have to. I, I told the headmaster I was going to leave as soon as I could. Uh, would I be able to go in training? And he said, um, go in training every day with Hereford. Come back in the afternoon. You'd have to sign sign in. He said, but one thing. He said, if you ever get to a cup final, I'd expect two two complimentary tickets. <laughs> so uh, fast forward the button. Uh, the first Merseyside. Milk Cup final, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I sent him two tickets for that. It was a, a small price to pay, but uh, those early days as apprentice at Hereford, it was uh, fantastic. He used to do everything: clean, clean the boots, sweep the dressing rooms, uh, sweep the stands on a Monday after a home game. You know, Edgar Street, Edgar Street, paint, <laughs> yeah, paint the, yeah. the in the summer, paint the paint the ground and all that, and just loved every minute of it. You just like love football. Um, so I had great memories and a manager who gave me my opportunity. What were the players back then? Did they have a, a future in the game like you did? Um, there was Dixie McNeil was a goal scorer. Uh, he was a, um, Tommy Hughes, a goalkeeper. Um, they were they were sort of aging players: John Layton, Billy Tucker, um, John Galley, Peter Spiring, um, Jimmy Lindsay. But they, they were like senior players, and they looked after me on the pitch. So when I was playing, mm -hmm. and someone was. They they'd sort them yeah. out sort of thing like they were the proper uh, <laughs> proper players <laughs> so I say bodyguards. So, body were in fact yeah. they were they were my bodyguards. Is it true you used to train on a, a car park outside sort of outside the training ground or the training facilities? So you like a shale car park? Yeah, that was the facilities that were there at the time. It was sort of the car park. Um, Tuesday night, Thursday night, and you just had it, just played. I mean, yeah. you just played, and that was it. And you, you whatever you rip your legs and. I was going to say, that, don't get fouled. But you just you just love love playing. Yeah, so you you come into the team at sixteen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what fourth division. Fourth that was third division. We won division. the third. We won the third division, and it was the last game of the season. And uh, John Silla gave my debut. Uh, Dixie McNeil needed to score a hat trick to uh, equal Ronnie Moore as the top goal scorer. <laughs> really? Um, and he got a hat trick on the night uh, against Preston. How many did you and, set uh, up? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to say the three of them. But, uh, no, it was just great running out. You know, was making a debut to. You know the stand, the, the ground that you'd swept and you'd weeded and everything yeah, like that. Yeah. It was a full house. What sort of crowd would that be? That was six, about six and a half thousand, right, okay. and that was it. Was, that was Rams sort of thing, and it was just the atmosphere. You know, when you run out, and you'll know, you know, when you run out 
uh, Anfield just the noise that gets you and it's just uh, you, you want more of it so yeah. it was just uh, it was a great introduction Were you uh, you end up being the left side of the midfielder obviously was that your position from the, the word go or were you sort of did you find that later in your career? Yeah, I was more central. I, yeah. I, I played many games for Hereford in, in, in the middle, uh, but eventually, obviously, being predominantly left-footed, I, I used yeah. my way out to the, the left-hand side. Where did that come from in the left? Was that in the family? You know, it was a football family, or were you uh, sort of a little bit of an anomaly? Not really. My dad played Irish uh, Gaelic and all that sort oh, of thing, yeah. but he came over to, to, to England when he was 16, sort of thing, so never really, so to say, football was all uh-huh. that, I, that I knew to play. You said that you won the third division and you made your debut that se- at the end of that season. Yeah. And looking at the, the history books, Hereford's only season at the second tier was was that season. Did you play a big part of that? Yeah, I played about 20, 25 games. Uh, we were sort of punching above our weight. You know, the, the club had no resources. Um, couldn't We just went up with the team that won the third division championship, but obviously the, the golf, but just... Uh, again, from my experience, playing against better players, learning mm-hmm. all the time, and you know we, we got beat most of the most of the games. We had a couple of good, decent results, but ju- just actually playing in that and, and standing up for yourself. And uh, do you feel that as a young player, you got to learn more about the game, make the mistakes, so that when you eventually did go to the top level, you you felt more ready for that? Indeed, yes. Yeah, it was a great learning curve. You know, even though you know we were getting beat uh, in the second division, it was coming up against good players. Uh, testing yourself and uh, you know something to look back on and it was a real uh, uh, education for me So 78 you were Liverpool obviously turn up and you'd already been already been to see them that year I think at Wembley against Bruges Yeah um, I was still ahead of United player and a mate of mine rang me up and said you've got two tickets for the European Cup final Liverpool Bruges would I want to go so I went along um, not a Liverpool supporter just going to watch a, a European final and uh, saw Kenny Douglas get the winning goal, saw the best midfield in Europe, Ray Kennedy, yeah. Graeme Souness, Terry McDermott, Jimmy Case, mm. um, and went home, so, you know, uh, enjoyed, loved the atmosphere, loved the game, brilliant for Liverpool, obviously supporting them because British team, yeah, yeah. and then two weeks later I get a phone call from a chairman, Peter Hill, um, he was up at Liverpool, they'd accepted a £100,000 bid and to travel up. Um, and in those days, no agents, no advisors. It was my mum and Good. dad. Um, so I'd stop off at Marks and Spencer's to get my mum a new suit, sort of thing, to travel <laughs> up in. Um, and just went up, and just all the way up, I was just thinking, I don't want to sign for them because I'd seen the best midfield yeah. in Europe. I knew how different Ray Kennedy was a top player, mm-hmm. uh, fantastic player, um, and didn't want to sign. So I went up, had the tour, had a picture with my dad with the European Cup. Um, uh, got into negotiations, but it was never about the money. The contract didn't matter. Who did you speak to? Was it Peter Robinson? Was Peter it? Robinson and Bob Paisley was the manager. Um, so our chairman, Peter Hill, sensed that I didn't really want to sign, so he came to me and said, listen, um, we need you to sign £100,000. I was heavy for could go best sort of thing. Like, So he put yeah. a bit of a gun to my head. Uh, and they'd given me my first opportunity, so reluctantly I'd signed, I signed a four-year contract. Um, and as I say to my Liverpool mates, four years later, I'd, I'd made four, four, four appearances, but I signed the contract. Uh, Bob Paisley got up, shook my hand, and said, "Congratulations and good luck, Philip." <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, 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 I knew from the start. But again, um, looking back on it, it really um, training with great players every day. You what was that like? Because you've watched them in the, in the European Cup final and then yeah. you're training with them yeah. so soon after. Pass and move, pass and move. That's all you heard on the training ground. Ronnie Moran, uh, Roy, Roy Evans, pass and move. And it was, they, they, that was all it was. There was no coaching, back fours, midfield, strike. It was just yeah. pass and move and that was the Liverpool way. So you had four years of that so you, you can only but improve with that and playing against 
the best players every day. Um, so certainly uh, from a learning curve, uh, no matter how well I was going to do, I wasn't going to get in the team. I, I knew that in the end. So it really toughened me up mentally. Who settled? Who, who did you settle in quickest with with some of those players in that Liverpool dressing room back then? Um, Alan Hansen was in the digs. I was in. It was in Elsie Road, about a hundred yards from from Anfield. Uh, Alan left, and then Ronnie Whelan. Um, he was in another digs and not really happy. And uh, I said, "Well, I speak to my landlady because she's brilliant, sort of thing." Like so, anyway. So little did I know that I was helping him, and eventually yeah. uh, he was vying for the same position as me. But we're still still good mates. Um, and Ronnie came in. Um, Joey Jones was brilliant. Uh, I went first. Um, Shy, but reserved, and I went from Hereford uh, to getting changed between Kenny Dalglish and Alan Hansen. So it was like <laughs> no, you no choice. Be into, and you've got the dressing room then with Graeme Souness, yeah. uh, Tommy Smith. Uh, but Joey was the one who really took me under me under his wing, and you realised, you know, coming from a smaller club and, and what was acquired, and, all, and he was brilliant, sort of thing, and funniest, funny, one of the funniest players I've ever met in football. You know, a great lad. So. Um, it was looking back, as I say, it was it was it was a great learning curve for me. It helped me no end when you know when I went to, to Everton. Did they call you Philip or did they call you? How uh, it called me, uh, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> Must have had some reserve team there at Liverpool because you, you think yourself, Ronnie. I think uh, later on, Craig Johnson would have been playing. Bruce Grobelard even maybe playing for the yeah. reserves. You must have been winning that uh, Central League. But it, we went it four years on the trot. Steve Grizovich, um, Jeff Ainsworth, Colin Irwin, Alan Harper, Brian Kettle. Howard Gale, yeah. uh, Colin Russell, um, Mick Halsall, um, Rushy played at France. Um, you know, so it was yeah. it was it was a proper strong, it, strong <laughs> team. But in those days, it was like if you didn't play, in, if you weren't in the first team, you played three mm -hmm. o'clock at, at Anfield. Yeah. If it was home game, you played three o'clock, and you'd be playing against the players that couldn't get in their team. So it was a real competitive um, league. So you made you made your debut uh, February eighty one. It's Birmingham, two two draw. Yeah. Uh, and then only only four more appearances I think after that and a couple in the League Cup, a couple yeah. of goals. Did you did you ever feel like you were gonna you were gonna make that breakthrough or was it did you always feel it was just a little bit away away from you? I don't know, so, uh, the Birmingham game, I've hit the shot from twenty five yards, cop end, and it's hit the post and bar. And I look back and think if that actually yeah. nestled in, mm. would it you know, would it have yeah. made any difference? I don't know. But certainly um I, d I did okay, but I think I had a had a back problem, and in those days they weren't great specialists sort of thing. And they couldn't find out what it was, and I had it for about four or five months. And they thought I was weak mentally, uh, the coaching staff sort of thing, and uh, that that went against me. So when I when I did actually recover from it, um, they always had that doubt where I was I was weak mentally. So that was I think was a big part to do with me not uh, progressing. It's a very very Liverpool thing that from that that era, isn't it? That injured players were sort of they weren't they weren't given the treatment and the care and the the, the affection that you get now. They were frowned upon. Yeah. I mean, they used to leave you in the dresser in the treatment room for an hour without even coming in to treat you. They they really did frown on on yeah. on that, and particularly if they couldn't if they didn't think you were injured. So yeah. uh, again. That was a, a learning curve for me. So the end end of eighty one, eighty two. I think you'd play. You'd, you'd been in the uh, the World Club Cup. You'd been on the yeah, bench for that in Flamengo. Flamengo yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that, I mean, that, that's so you've you've had that, and then at the end of the season, you're 
your contracts up and you, yeah. you you get a phone call as if from a Daily Mail journalist. Yeah, Colin Wood. I was in Diggs, um, as I say, and I got a phone call on a Friday. I'm playing Preston away uh, for Liverpool Reserves, the last game of the season. Mm-hmm. And uh, it says Colin Wood from the uh, Daily Mail. He said, would you be interested in signing for, for Everton? I said, of course. He said, put the phone down and Howard Kendall will ring you. Um, <coughs> you obviously think it's a prank. It's not. Anyway, sure. phone goes and sure enough, it's Howard. And uh, he said, I'm going to come and... Uh, come and watch you uh, in the last game of the season. And he said, there's one thing, he said, I've been told you don't always try, sort of thing. Like, so he rankled oh, me a little okay. bit. So I said, Mr. Kendall, I assure you, I always try, sort of thing. So anyway, I played the game. Um, I must have tried. Uh, but a week later, I got a phone call from Harry Cook to say, would you would you come in to, you know, to sign for Everton? Did you tell any of your teammates at the time that you were being watched by Howard Kendall? No, no, I didn't. So I just kept that, uh, kept that to myself. Um, and I knew... My four years, the midweeks, I used to go and watch Everton playing, um, uh, get tickets in the, in the top balcony. Uh, okay. saw Sharpie make his debut, okay. Kevin Ratcliffe, Inchy signed for 750000 So I saw the team that the Howard was putting together, so it was an easy decision when, uh, when they came calling. So it was 20 years since someone had gone from Liverpool to Everton, John Morrissey, John Morrissey 62. Yeah. So did that, did that come into your thinking in any, in any way, or was it just a case of I want to play and these want me to play? Well, I'd seen the atmosphere at Anfield, I'd seen the atmosphere at Goodison, I knew exactly what I was going into, but I knew I had to hit the ground running because if I wasn't good enough for Liverpool, why should I be good enough for, for Everton? Yeah. So I knew I'd so um, I worked as hard as I could pre season, I hit the ground running. We got beat the first game 2 0 against Watford, they just got promoted mm-hmm. um, and they, they were on fire that day. And then we, from there, they settled in. I got, I got my home debut, I got a goal against Tottenham um, and I, I played well so it, the, the crowd sort of, I'd, I'd won them over quite early. You, you felt a part of it very early on yeah. at Everton as opposed to at Liverpool? Yeah, yeah, I, I think I'd grown up a little bit four years, I'd grown up, it had toughened me up mentally, I was a better player, um, Liverpool sort of, they, they were choosing where I went and Blackpool came in for me, they were in the fourth division, I knew I was better than that, they sort of <laughs> let me, you know, put me in a room with uh, one of the People representing Blackpool saying, "What you know? What can we offer you?" And all that. I said, "No, that's, I'm not interested." I said, mm-hmm. I, uh, um, "And Derby, they were in the first division. Then they came in for me in Liverpool. No, no chance. You're not going there." So they they were picking and choosing. So it was only when my contract uh, ran out that uh, I was able to go. Funny enough, I come across it the other day. I got uh, an offer of a, a new contract at Liverpool, sort of thing, you know. And the figures are like ridiculous, sort really? of thing, you know, compared. But um, no, it was just uh, it was. I, I went into the dressing dressing room with. Uh, uh, Everton got changed next to Kevin Ratliff and we became great mates sort of thing but it was just a, not a different environment I felt more comfortable in that, that, at that time Just to finish on the departure from Liverpool was there a, a goodbye, a phone call, a, a letter anything like that from anybody in particular? No, no that was it, you were gone, yeah. gone. Um, Kenny, to be fair, Kenny was good mate to me um, when I f- first signed uh, first three days he said what are you doing tonight I said uh, no, nothing really he said come on I'll t- you come out tomorrow and have a barbecue stay overnight sort of thing like so he drove me over nice. over there and I remember uh, sitting outside having a barbecue and uh, Marina went upstairs with a bucket of water and diced Kenny from, from upstairs <laughs> thing, like, you know. but uh, no he, 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 he was good to me as well sort of thing so I, it was one of those that's football you move on and uh, you know a new chapter opened so, you, so you've gone to Everton you, you, you're feeling part of you sort of getting yourself settled over there. You don't have to don't have to up, up roots either, which I'm guessing helps the settling yeah. process. How big a, an influence is Howard Kendall then in, in the uh, in making you feel a part of that at Everton? Um, obviously, absolutely devastated that he's, he's passed away. Yeah. Uh, he was the best manager I, I ever played for. Um, he had 100% confidence in me. 
Um, I had a fair share of injuries, uh, but he always played me when I was fit. Even when I wasn't playing well, he'd leave me on the pitch because he knew I could score a goal or create a goal. So he, he, you couldn't have had a better manager to, to give you confidence. And he was just a, a great man manager. He wasn't a ranter or a raver. Yeah. He just he, he knew football inside out. He'd have a quiet word with you when he needed to. He never said, well done when you were doing well. He'd never say you weren't good when you weren't good. He, he just knew um, he knew how to handle me. He knew so, how to get the best out of me. Yeah. And it was that confidence to to get more out of yourself, which he gave you? Yeah, because I wasn't frightened to make mistakes. You, you, you could try things and if it didn't come off, he you, 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 you was 100% with me. Um, when we played Luton in the FA Cup semi-final, probably highlighted it. Um, I wasn't playing great. I was getting a little bit of jip off the supporters, um, but he kept me on the pitch and scored the free kick four minutes from time and then we, we won two one extra time. So that, that would sort of sum up our sort of relationship where he'd leave players like Ken Richards and Alan Harper who had gone into the team and done really well, done all they could, but as soon as I was fit, he put me straight back yeah. in. So it was just, that, you know. Uh, Colin Harvey has, has came came through as number two as well, so that, that can make a difference as well because I know he's a very sharp Tactician as well, wasn't he, Colin? Yeah, they were they were great. As Colin was more get yeah. stuck into you. Was how does the man manage you? So they were a good good balance. Mick Eaton as well. It, you know, it was a good good balance of um, of coaching and manager sort of thing. What was the training like? You've come from Liverpool, pass and move, pass and move. What was it like at the the training at Everton? Exactly the same. Pre season, uh, first day out with the ball, everything. We put the all the players, the um, apprentices. He put you in. You have teams. And you have little competitions, but it was all with the ball. There was never six mile runs or whatever. Yeah. A 12 minute run was the most we did, but everything was with the ball, and that, that same as Liverpool. Mm -hmm. And that, I think they were ahead of the times, Liverpool Everton, because of that. You'd Sheffield Wednesday under Howard Wilkinson, uh, Adrian Heath was good mate with Lee Chapman. You'd just say, like, they'd come, they'd have a six, seven mile run. He said, like, he'd, he'd, Lee Chapman would be like lying on his couch, like, <laughs> shattered, and she was as fresh as a daisy, sort of thing. So I think, you know, that helped as well to have that, that type of um, coaching and, and football to go into. How strong was the bond in that dressing room at the time? Because obviously you went on to achieve a lot, but when you first signed, could you, could you, could you see that real bond and togetherness as a team squad? Yeah, I think it, it, it grew, um, and it's as strong now as it was back then. We we're all great mates. So everyone loves, you know, if have reunions and things like that. Everyone, there was no, no one had an ego. No one thought they were better than anyone else. Everyone knew we were a good team, and 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 that that helped sort of thing. So you you. Rats was a captain, brilliant captain, but really could have been a captain. Nev could have been a yeah. captain. You just had so many players that were would say it if if you weren't doing it, they'd tell you something. Uh, they made uh, the boss's job easy. It didn't. Um, it took a while, didn't it, to come together in that because I, I, I read an old Echo report of of leaflets being distributed at a home game, a league. I think it was a league cup game. Asking for Howard to be yeah. to be sacked and, and saying you know he'll never achieve anything as a manager at this club and things like that. And that was only I think it was only eighteen months before the cup final yeah. in eighty four. So did you did you feel that, that you were underachieving with that team to start with, or did you always feel that it would come good? You know that that this would eventually happen. Yeah, we, we, when you train with players every day, you know how good and what they, they're capable of doing. But we just couldn't put it together um, at that time, um, and I think. Howard, he had such a great relationship with the press. He'd, 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 he'd take them in, he'd, he'd you know, yeah. give them stories. He was really good to them. And I think that bought him that bit of time that he mm -hmm. needed. Whereas if he wasn't so, had such a good relationship, I think he might have, he might have, got, he might have gone. But with his relationship, the press were, weren't writing yeah. bad stuff about him. They were sort of like trying to keep, support, keep, him, keep a support bit, yeah. him a bit. And eventually the, the results came. Was the, was the turning point the FA Cup 
final win in 83-84 against Watford. Was that the turning point for you? The turning point, I mean, everyone goes back Oxford. to Oxford. Oxford. Uh, but the round before that, we were getting beat 1-0 by Newport. Uh, Aldo scored and I hit shot from 30 yards. It was bobble, 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 just bobbled in the in the corner. And that got us a draw. We beat them in the replay and then we went to Oxford and Adrian Heath uh, intercepted Kevin Brock. Pass from Ken Brock, who I played with at Newcastle later on. Um, and that sort of, like, we got the result there. Mm. And then, obviously, leading up to the... Um, the FA Cup final. We got to the the Littles Cup final against Liverpool. Um, got beat in the in the replay. Uh, but then we we were starting to get results. Then we were winning semi-finals. We were getting to the finals. And obviously, uh, I missed the the FA Cup final through injury. Uh, I got ruptured my ankle ligaments mm. in the uh, Littles Cup final. But we won the FA Cup, and then obviously that got us into Europe. And um, that was. But the the biggest game for me when we beat Man United five 0 at Goodison that season. Um, we, we got some decent results, but that was they were a good side. They, they were getting talked about to win the league. Strachan, Robson, Gordon McQueen, Mark Hughes. I mean, that, that, Olsen. Yeah, yeah, they were they were a side that were always sort of touted as a, as a potential challenge and never quite never quite materialised. But that was, was that October '84. Um, yeah, so you just won the FA Cup and they're going into that season. Yeah, lost the first two games of the season. Yeah, I yeah. saw that yeah. Tottenham and West Brom. Yeah, but it was that major achievement of winning the FA Cup that that must have given the whole squad. Huge confidence, then you know, we, we can achieve. Indeed, I think once you win, you I mean, that wasn't my first piece of silver, but the lads to, to win a trophy, I think that gives you so much confidence that you, you, you know, what what now sort of thing. So, obviously, the momentum apart from the first two games carried into the, the next season. Um, the side had just gelled, and it was just the perfect balance uh, right the way through. Um, and obviously, that game, I think after that game, I sat in the dressing room, looked around at the, the other lads, thought, we've got a good team here now, we've got a chance. How upsetting was that for you to miss out on the, on the cup final? Were you there? I'd, um, I'd, I'd got injured in the, the uh, Littles Cup final. Phil Neal came over, went over the top, down my ankle. Um, and the, the Wednesday, the replay, that's when I had my operation. And the surgeon said, you're going to be out for about three, four months, sort of thing. So. We hadn't played the semi-final then, sort of thing. Okay. So I knew I knew I was, I was out of it. So, but obviously, willing the lads to, to get through and win, and it, it was it was fantastic. So as Kevin Ratcliffe always says to me, "It's the one medal you haven't got," sort of thing. Like, <laughs> but, uh, but no, but, it, but it, 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 that was the start of our, our success, sort of thing. So if we hadn't have had won the the FA Cup, we wouldn't have been in Europe. We wouldn't have gone on to win the Cup. Course, yeah. Were you in that dressing room? When you, when you won the FA Cup? No, I didn't go. Did it travel? No, I didn't travel. I was, I, was okay. uh, I was in plaster, I was on crutches and all that sort of thing, so I just thought I'd, I don't want to be hobbling around Wembley sort of thing, I'll, I'll watch it at home. Well, heard of now, isn't it? You know, the squad oh, takes take so many... You'd have a full kit on, wouldn't you? You'd be going yeah, 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 the steps yeah, yeah, and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, sort of mixed emotions, obviously, delighted for the players, delighted for the supporters and the club, but personally gutted, you know, you, you, you watch FA Cup finals every year from mm. when you... But to miss out, by playing in three after that, uh, got beaten in the three, but to actually, you don't know whether you actually get to play in one. So, uh, on one hand, yeah, I played in three, got but um, great memories. But you went one better the next season by winning the first division championship, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, and that was that was my first first medal, and um, it, it was brilliant. Um, just great memories, great games, and just we were never going to get beat. And you used to look around before you went out and just thought, well, whoever we were playing, we only need to be about seventy percent today, or. 80% dependent on the opposition because you just looked at Nev sort of thing like, yeah. and he used to say to the defenders if he's shooting from 25 yards he said don't get in the way don't block it don't deflect he said because I'll save it he said, if, you, <laughs> if you deflect it you, you're going to do me sort of thing like, so, I mean he, it's, it's generally considered that at that time sort of three four years in the 80s he was the best in the world I mean you go along, obviously go along with that 
that statement in terms of goalkeepers? Absolutely. Um, in training, so you, you're doing finishing sessions and you had other keepers and no disrespect, you know, you put them yeah. sort of in the corner and they go in, whereas Neville come in and if he, if he didn't hit it properly, he wouldn't even use his hands, he'd just like yeah. dive and chest Dean Saunders tells a story about that, that <laughs> yeah. he said there was one game where he had, I think he had a, a, a wrist problem for Wales mm. and he said, I'll, I'll play, he said, well, I can't use my hands and he said he couldn't score past him, he said him, Mark Hughes, Ian Rush, yeah. he said he couldn't, he said he was heading it away, he was, he was you know, he was <laughs> shoulders and all that. <laughs> he, was, he worked the hardest I've ever seen anybody and you'd stick one right in the top corner and he'd get a, he'd get a fingertip to it onto the bar, round the post or whatever. So, looking back, it helped me as a, Goal scorer because mm. you knew you had you had to, you had to be right in the yeah. corners with him. When you practiced your free kicks, did you make sure it was a different keeper to get your confidence? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bobby Mims got the call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so yeah, no, but he, he was so you knew there had to be something special to to beat every normal white sides goal in the the FA Cup. Yeah. You know, right in the corner. I mean, it was a um, that's the only ones that were going to beat him. Did you that that season? Because Liverpool were obviously the team that won it every year, or were certainly there thereabouts every year. You you were pretty pretty well clear of them. Was the nerves at all in that in that running? You know, first time Everton had been up there for a, for a long while. Was was there a feeling of oh, you know, right now now we're, we've got something to lose that season? Um, I think we, we, do we go to Tottenham and they were they were yeah they were right up there. And and never made that save. Never made that from. save and we won two one. So that was that was a, like a six pointer at the top end of the table and we we handled the pressure yeah. comfortably there so i think we we didn't we didn't panic we we knew it was big games and we had to win them and uh, we we overcame them what was it like as a wide one having Graham Sharp and Andy Gray up top it was just they knew me i knew them half a yard and it's coming in so they they weren't caught on the hop they knew if they could see me boom and it's coming in and Andy had one of the biggest foreheads in football so <laughs> it wasn't still it was, it was easy to, to pick him out but i have to go back to Adrian Heath um, people ask me who's the best striker I've played with. Sharpie, big number nine, proper centre forward. But Inchi for me, um, I knew him inside out where he wanted the ball. So as a, as a ball's coming to me, you could always play one touch, whether over the top to Inchi or into him, because his movement, he'd, he'd, he'd check away from defenders either way, short to go in or long to come back. But he was just, uh, and he just unfortunately got a, an injury against Sheffield Wednesday, and he was at the height of his, his play, and he, he'd done his cruciates, and he missed the. The rest of the season, I don't think Andy Gray would have got in the okay. form in she was, was performing. Yeah. But to be fair to Andy, when he did come in, and obviously uh, him and Sharpie were a uh, uh, fantastic strike force. And as I say, brave as a lion, Andy and Sharpie, anything, even balls off the ground, Andy get you know, dive in between the studs and all that. So, um, so yeah, it was, it was fantastic. You scored so many free kicks in your career. Did anyone try and get them off you? No. <laughs> no, Peter Reid did, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, no, just uh, it's I, I practiced, I practiced back because when you got forty thousand people cheering your name, mm. you've got to be able to to produce. So no one, no one made the mistake of trying to take them off me now. So, is so, that sorry? Is that true? The, the Ipswich one where you took the, took, one, the, yeah. took the one one side, and then Peter Reid said, right. It's got to be retaken. What, what, what are we going to do That's with it? This? Yeah. So I took it quickly against Paul Cooper because he just tried to gain advantage. He went right into his top right hand corner and I put the ball down and really come over. He said, What are we going to do now? So get out there. <laughs> so I, what you're going to do. And I'll put it on the other side. So fortunately, Paul Cooper he just edged over because he knew I could put it in his top right and he left a nice little gap at the bottom left. I so remember uh, Leighton Baines amazing. doing that at, at West Ham a couple yeah. of seasons ago where he, he done it and they brought up a lot of memories for Everton fans. They were talking about the, the, the Kevin Sheedy uh, episodes. But yeah. Both Leighton's counted, so I think yeah. he'll say his he'll say his were better. Yeah, yeah. So no, it's just great that Leighton's got the ability to do that yeah. as well. You know, he sort of like I did it in my time.
time. It's always good to see uh, yeah. people perfecting it as well. I, I, I'm moving forward a few years, but is it true you you, you watched uh, Maradona practicing his free kicks uh, in Seville a yeah. few years later, and sort of in, inspirational for any anyone to see that? Indeed, he's just got. I mean, he's, he's my favourite player of all time, sort of thing. So we was, we play in Spain, and we went to the training ground in Seville to to, to do a session. Anyway, as we were leaving, he he, he walked out and he just went onto. Uh, pitch. He was about six foot six keeper. He's the biggest keeper I'd ever seen in my life. <laughs> and uh, I said to Jack, and you just watch him for a few minutes. And uh, he was just just bending him in the top corners. I mean, I used to watch him when he played for, for Napoli, and they'd have people on yeah. the posts and all his defenders. He just used to think over the heads and all that. He was just uh, so, and it showed what I always believed in. You've got to practice. You know, I say to the young lads, if you you know, they come Saturday, they take a free kick and they put it wide. I say, well, I don't see you practicing during mm. the week. You know, you don't. I mean, saw David Beckham leading up to the game against Greece, and the day before, there's a video of him practicing, and he was like, wasn't successful all the time, but he just kept doing it. And the game itself, he, he had a few. And I think Teddy Chairman tried to get him off yeah. the one that he actually scored it, but it's like he believed in his ability because he's done it. So, uh, well, that, well, that's what I wanted to ask you. What, what's your mindset? You're practicing. You're practicing. Day in, day out on the training pitch, but it's a different matter when it's competition. It's match day, the pressures, the crowd are there. You know the game scenario, maybe one nil down. I don't know one all. It's a completely different pressure. Stepping up and delivering. So how was your mindset stepping up, thinking you've got the confidence to produce it? Um, I was, I was confident I'd score every time um, because I practiced, I, I'd done it, I, I knew where to do it. And a lot of the time it was where the wall was, if it was slightly out or the keeper where he was, that was sort of, I'd half make my mind up and then I'd, I'd pick my spot for where I was, was going to take it. Um, so as I say, fortunately I was uh, successful I'll doing pick it. your spot you did. Yeah. <laughs> so win the league, what, I mean, what can you describe that for us? I mean, in terms of the feeling of winning it? And, and the celebrations have followed because I think you still had some big games to come after after winning that league. You still had two finals to come, and then I think four or five league games as well. Yeah, it was a bit bizarre because you didn't really celebrate it because it was always another big game coming. And then you get the Cup Winners' Cup final, then you got the FA Cup final three days later. So you were never. It was like that was just put to bed. You'd won that, so you weren't really. You were looking on concentrate on the next one. So win the Cup Winners' Cup, and then you go to the FA Cup final. Um, and then we get beaten that, so it really put a at that time it put a dampener on the on so the season. You even felt sort of unsatisfied at the end of that season, even though you'd won two trophies. You even felt a little bit down after the cup final. Definitely, definitely, because you're flat after you, you, you're losing the cup final. So yeah, you've done that. Down. Certainly later when you look back, it was a fantastic season, but we didn't sort of like celebrate that as you would do if it was the only thing we'd won. Then then you celebrated. But um, the cup winners' cup, you speak about the semi final at Goodison as one of the, the great atmospheres that you experienced against Bayern Munich, how was that? It was unbelievable, it was just leading up to the ground where you used to go down the park end round to the main reception, you, the bus couldn't get through, it was just, that was like an hour and a half before the game, it was just rammed, um, coming out for the warm up, it was just like a special atmosphere, it was like electric, um, and actually coming out for the, the, the kick off, it was just when he hit the top step and he came out, it was just like, the best atmosphere. I played in the quarterfinal of the World Cup in Rome yeah. against Italy. Mm. Eighty thousand people, electric atmosphere, but nothing like when it's on your your home ground. Fifty five thousand Evertonians. Goodison, Goodison night matches are pretty pretty. They have a bit of special. Yeah. Different to Derby them. atmosphere as well. Yeah, yeah, different. Um, same. It's a different. The supporters are. It's a different outlook. I think they have on the game, but it's just the atmosphere. Um, and Hunes, I think, scored just before half time, and I was on the line and he scored um, but you just see a pin drop it was just dead silent sort of thing um, 
and luckily I think for us we were kicking to the Gladys Street the second half sort of thing, and as everyone knows Howard's just said they'll suck a goal, a goal in for you sort of thing like just up the tempo a bit and uh, we, we hadn't practiced long throws Gary Seam for some reason just took a long throw launched it in the box it was a bit of a thing I think Andy Gray got the first one and literally five minutes later exactly the same another long throw Sharpie got on the end of it and the game turned on his head then 2-1 uh, so it was a frenetic uh, game because it was always going to be another goal. Mm. It was always going to be one. It was could have gone either way, sort of thing. And um, I remember getting the ball in the left back position and wait for Andy Gray to make a run. You've got like fifty-five thousand people shouting "man on," sort of thing. Like, <laughs> I know there is. Like, anyway, uh, delivered it to Andy, put it on to Trevor Stephen. Uh, he scored and he just brought the house down. It was just amazing. I still, still put shivers in the back of my neck now thinking about it. And that was the looking back. That was the final. They they were they were a good side. They won the Bundesliga the next year. Mm. Um, and then obviously we were strong favourites going into the, into the final. Yeah, the the final Rotterdam is to Everton's Evertonians of a certain generation by Munich and Rotterdam are the two sort of uh, great nights if you like and the great the great trips. I mean, do you remember the, what do you remember about the Everton fans around the city in the build up to that final? You know, there was, I think it was twenty five thousand, thirty thousand that went over there. Yeah. Um... Just again, I mean, my parents went over and the stadium, it was like a, an old stadium, it was yeah. like a wooden stand and all that sort of thing, you know, it's just, uh, I've, I've been back there and like it's the new stadium now, it's all seats, it's a brilliant stadium, but uh, that's what the way the stadiums were in those days, but the atmosphere, um, again, coming up, leading up to the game, going to the ground and all that, and it just, it just everyone, as you said, uh, supporters, they, they always talk about Rotterdam and then travelling yeah. down to to London yeah. for the for the final sort of thing. Those are the great memories. But uh, the game itself, as I say, we were strong favourites. Uh, winning two nil. Um, I was always winding Kevin Rattler about Hans Crankles with a striker. I said we're going to have to score two or three tonight because he's going to score sort of thing. <laughs> like sure enough, <laughs> and he, does. Uh, he did make it two one. Um, and they were still celebrating. I think they got back into the game. And from the kick off, it got played up the sharp. He laid it off to me, and uh, the keeper came rushing out. So. It I should chip it over him, mm-hmm. and the game was over then, three-one sort of thing. So, um, what was that like for you? Because you disc- you've scored a goal in the yeah. Winners' Cup final. Yeah, you know, you're talking about it, you know, nicely there, but emotionally, what was that like for you to achieve something so huge in such a major event? It's um, look. I think looking back on it more than at the time, you're just doing doing your job sort of thing you know I was, I was a goal scorer so if I got the opportunities um, I was confident to score so it was just it just happened to, that quickly I'd stay back in it down the other end and game over sort of thing so um, look I'm pleased with the finish it was uh, technically good so um, one of my best memories of looking back you know in football sort of things but not afterwards when you get asked for a drugs test yeah. right, I think yeah. <laughs> they missed out on the celebration indeed yeah and it nice. only happened to me um, myself and Gary Stevens. I could understand Gary Stevens because he was a proper athlete sort of thing pace was my uh, my <laughs> thing so we sat in a room with two of the rapid vein and you, you can't go to the toilet yeah. straight away as everyone knows so about an hour we're drinking water drinking water anyway managed to to produce and then go back into the dressing room with, Expecting, you know, celebrations, and it was only Gary's tracksuit, my tracksuit, two towels, our training shoes, and that was it. Everyone else was on the, so missed out on, you know, yeah. your celebrations and that sort of thing. You'd have been so better be, with the champagne. You'd have been in the toilet quicker. Indeed, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you'd be yeah. on a, you'd be on Instagram now with selfies and all that, wouldn't you? Oh, indeed, yeah, yeah. Top off and all that. Yeah, that'd be, yeah. that'd be the modern so, you know, way. No, no pictures, you know, like in the dressing yeah. room afterwards with the, with the lads with the cup and all that. So, forget uh, about that. You put the picture because you scored that goal. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. Get the goal scorer. Yeah. So, so. After that, I mean, I, I looked. One thing that struck me, I was doing a bit of research about your, your career. Four years running, Everton won the Charity Shield, which suggests, tells you exactly how successful that team was. It was always there or thereabouts come the end of the season. And obviously, 
the, the following season missed out. But runners up in the league, runners up in the, the cup. So it was like I saw it, it was. I never, and obviously, never got the chance to to go into the European Cup, which I'm, I'm guessing is a massive source of regret for for all the players who played in that team, and I'm sure it was for Howard as well. Um, but the 80, 86, 87, now Preno, who, who's my boss at, at the Echo, tells me, and he, he will swear blind on it that that's a better that's a better title win than 84, 85 because of the troubles that the team had. It, it obviously had it been through the Gary Lineker and then it had to replace him. But it also had you missed a lot of games through injury. I think Peter Reid missed a lot of games. Pat Van den Howe. So it was it was it was more reliant on on sort of squad players the second time around. Indeed, yeah. I mean, you'd like to be Marshall, Neil Adams, yeah. um, Paul Power obviously came in. And yeah, uh, it was my best season goal scorer. I, I played in the middle because Reid embraced. They they had quite a lot. Scored seventeen goals. Um, so personally, I I always wanted to play in the middle. So I think that Towers always get me on the left sort of thing. Uh, so I was able to to play in that sort of thing. So um, Alan Harper was alongside me. Uh, Paul Power. So it it was like eighty five was like the same team more or less yeah. week in week out, and it just picked itself. Whereas this, it was probably more challenging for the for the boss as well to you know to p- pick the right players. So yeah, it, it, I can see what people. It was probably a better achievement because we didn't have probably the quality of the players that we had in eighty five. Uh, obviously, um, did you did you fear that that team, w- the eighty five team, and, and, and there on, did you fear that that team would struggle once the once the European ban came in? Did you feel that you might start losing players, or you might start seeing people go abroad and, and, and look for look for other opportunities? Because it seems natural now, but I don't know what it would be like at the time. So would you would you think that way? I think if you look back in the history now, I think after that and uh, with, with Heysel and not us not being able to compete, you know, we lost. Our best ever manager, yeah. uh, Trevor Stephen, Gary Stevens went to to Rangers. Rangers yeah. uh, Reedy, and then Colin took over, and you know brought in a lot of good players, but they weren't as good as the players they were replacing. So Pat Nevin wasn't as good as yeah. Trevor Stephen, Tony Donald, um, Gary Stevens, Tony yeah. Cotty. You know they were good players, but um, they weren't they weren't better than what they were replacing. So um, so that was I think that. That started the, the sort of decline of um, you know we we didn't reach our peak as a team we, you know the team uh, split up uh, probably two or three seasons before it should should end. When Howard goes and what's that like for you because he, he he must have been a, to all the players really he must have been a sort of a friend a mentor and obviously a massive inspiration when 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 you know that he's going to to Athletic Bilbao what was that what was that like for the, the team? Uh, just gutted I mean he was he was say the best manager I played with and you know that was the start of of the team. Uh, uh, splitting up, so it just showed what a what a top manager he was, and obviously he had his reasons why yeah. why he went sort of thing. So um, so that, no, but looking back, that was a that was a poor period for for Everton. Yeah. What was he like? What was he like in terms of? Uh, he had a lot of big characters in there. What was he like in terms of the end of season or the the pre season tours and things like that? You know, everyone's got a, a great story about Howard, and you know he, he liked to enjoy himself. He liked to he liked to live life, didn't he? And he must have been must have been. Good company to, to be around as well, not just in terms of football. Yeah, he was. He was a great man. Uh, great, great company, as you said. You know, he loved being in his company. Um, he did like to socialise. Uh, he let the lads socialise at the right times, and just you know, you you were comfortable in his company. You never like wanted to. You know, he he was uh, he was just a uh, a great man. I remember one of my uh, we played Notts County in the quarter final in the FA Cup, yeah. and I passed the fitness test in the morning, but I my ankles 
wasn't great. And he said, at half time, he said, how's your ankle, son? I said, Graf, I said, if I run in straight lines, I'm okay, but if I come off at an angle, I said, it's killing me. He said, we'll just run in straight lines then. Tactical advice. No, as I say, said before, absolutely gutted. You know, we lost him too soon. And, yeah. you know, one of Everton's greatest ever players and Everton's greatest ever manager. So he's a, a huge loss. We had a huge influence on you, on you throughout your career. A huge influence on my career in my coaching mm-hmm. is it's it's sort of all with the ball sort of thing you know so everything that, that I that I'm trying to do is his legacy uh, still lives on yes yeah yeah yourself. yeah and it was great uh, not so long ago he came he came to Finch Farm and had a had a tour around uh, yeah, so uh, great pictures with Ross wasn't there I remember that yeah being yeah in the paper. yeah so um, yeah he was still as passionate as Evertonian until until obviously until his, his last day he used to do his column for the for the paper and he yeah. was uh, yeah. he was still as sharp as attack as well in terms of his football yeah. Um, so we're going to move move away from Everton for a, for a moment. Go to Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, born in Wales, your dad dad's from Ennis, so that's why yeah. you, you qualify for Ireland. I, my my assumption, me being me being um, not doing my research to start with, was that Jack Charlton was going to be behind you playing for Ireland because that was sort of the, the received wisdom that he he got everyone. He wasn't Irish to play for Ireland, but you you were you were already well committed from the mid seventies, weren't you? Sort yeah. of under eighteens. I was sort of sixteen. I was at Hereford, and um, I got a. A letter from the Irish FA to say I've been selected for their upcoming youth game. Um, so I knew what Wales had a game as well. So I rang the Welsh FA and said uh, I've been selected for Ireland. Um, am I in your your squad for the game coming up? And the answer I got was, they're not. They're, we're not in the business of um, announcing the squad until it's done officially. I said, okay, thanks very much. Put the phone down. Rang the Irish FA. Said I'd be delighted to play for you. Right. So that's how my, my decision was made for me, not knowing later on down the line, sort of thing. That's. Uh, you know, yeah. playing European Championships and the World Cup, and Wales missed out, sort of thing, which I kept finding Neville and Rats up about, <laughs> sort of thing. Uh, but no, so I played a lot of the, the under 18s, uh, 21s, um, played under Owen Hand, who was the, the manager at the time. Um, and we had some top players, Liam Brady, uh, mm-hmm. Frank Stapleton, Mark Lawrence, but they, they sort of ran the show. Uh, he wasn't a strong enough manager, and you know, the, the team didn't get the success, so it was only when Jack came in um, that the only way I can explain it was Jack's way or the highway. It was like you do it this way, or I'll get someone else in. So how different was that? Because of the experiences you're having at Everton to go away then with your national team with Ireland, what, how different was that? It was, it was as close as it could be to your your, your uh, Everton. The players were great players. And everyone, same thing. Everyone got on really well. Um, even though they were playing for Liverpool, I was playing for Everton. You had players from Man United, Tottenham. So you had players from the, the top teams in in the in the league. Um, Tony Cascarino, Andy Townsend, great characters, uh, funny funny lads, and we had great great times being away. Um, and that that bond went on to the pitch, the same as Everton. So even now, I still go do things over in Ireland and I meet up with the lads, and we got on great, you know. So we just I was fortunate to be in the, that era for Everton, and the same with with Ireland. Interesting, because in England, there's been stories of the past of that People divide away, yeah. between players going over, but yeah. it's good to hear that. Obviously, your time it was nothing like that. Not at all. No, same thing. There was no egos. No one thought they were better than anyone else. You got Paul McGrath, uh, Ken Moran, Mick McCarthy, Steve Staunton, Dennis Irwin. Uh, Chris Hutton, uh, Ray Houghton, Aldo. Yeah. So you had top players, Ronnie Whelan. Mm. Uh, there was like a real tough squad, you know. So you 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 got in the team and you you had to stay in it. I know you're doing um, you're in Sky this week. You're doing the fantasy football where you pick your best eleven. Yeah. Paul McGrath, someone who 
I think everyone who's ever played with him on that show has said Paul McGrath is the, the best centre back they've ever played with. Yep. Can you tell us tell us a bit about Paul McGrath? Because I I only remember him sort of back end of his career at yeah. Aston Villa, and he was still a very very good player. And what was he like? Man he's United at Ireland. Yeah, he's in my team of centre back anyway. Right. So, <laughs> a little spoiler no, there. But he's, he's just one off. Would he have been a better player if he didn't have his bad knees? I don't know because he couldn't have been much better than, than what he was. He'd never trained, so yeah. what's he like in training? I don't know. We'd just come over, he'd stand on the side, watch his training and go. And then we'd play the game on the Wednesday and he'd be the best player on the pitch, whether it be at centre-back. We played Russia the one time and everyone was like, Phew. but he was just in second gear. He was just cruising around the pitch and he was the best player. What was his best attribute defending? Just timing, strength, strong. Could head it. Read the game well. Was quick, read the game perfectly. Uh, was always in the right positions. You never saw him get done where he was chasing back. He was always, admittedly, he was always in the game. He never got himself out of the game. Uh, when he went for a challenge, nine times out of ten, he won it. Um, just And what a great lad as well. Really uh, yeah. humble, um, great lad. So just being a top player. What was he like after the games? Because he's got sore knees, I've experienced that myself. Is he icing his knees, struggling to walk for days after games? He probably, yeah, a little bit. Um, like to socialise a little bit as well, so I think the ice was more in the drink than on his knees. Um, but no, no, um, he just went from game to game. He'd, he'd come over, he'd get treatment off McBurn for the Irish games. Um, in the end, his physio from Aston Villa used to come over, so he, he was getting all, all the treatment he needed in between games, but he just played. S still on Ireland, I just wanted to ask you about Jack Charlton, because my dad was managed by him, as well as Sheffield Wednesday manager, and some of the stories he used to... Tell me about him. We're interesting. You said it was Jack's way or the highway. I asked my dad, and he said one of the things that Jack used to say was space never scores goals. Players do. Have you yeah. Any, any other famous quotes from Jack back in the day? What <laughs> that, he would say in the changing room. Say on there. <laughs> you can say on tape. Um, he was just. He wanted long balls in behind. That was that was his thing. If if the, the back players passed into midfield and the midfield player gave it away, it wasn't the midfield player. So it was the defenders' fault for passing in it. Put it in in there. Um, the quarter final, the the World Cup, I say we're playing, and uh, I got the ball on the left hand side, and Aldo's shown for it. Jack always just put it in behind, and he just given the ball away something. So this time, I just wrapped it into Aldo's feet, and Berezi's got a toe between his legs, nicked it to Donadoni, who's on the halfway line. He runs half the pitch, shoots, shoots, Paki parries it, Scalacci scores. So only goal of the game. We're coming. We're walking off at half time. So anyway, Alder's gone. He said, "Jackson, give me a rocket here now." I said, "Quite right too. You should have got hold of it." Sort of thing. Anyway, <laughs> so we go in the dressing room. Sure enough, Jack, you. bang, giving it me. And I, I'm looking over at Alder, and he's smirking. Away, sort of thing, <laughs> like, so, um, but no, he's um, off the board. We're playing um, England mm. 1988 European Championship. So everyone thought I. I'd be selected on the, on the left anyway. Jack named the team, and he, he opted for Tony Galvin, and uh, so I, I was gutted. You know, one of the biggest games you're ever going to play in. So we go into the game, and I'm sat at the back with Tony Cascarino and Aldo. So we're just messing around playing cards. So Jack comes down, sits down, and we we always just play a game called Hearts. So he named the team. I was sub anyway. So we're playing. So Jack's leading, and Jack is tight. Okay. He's, 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 he's really tight sort of thing unbelievably tight and he's just signing checks, checks that was his thing because yeah, yeah. he wouldn't they wouldn't cash them in the pubs in, in, yeah. in Ireland and he, the one time he went to call in at a motor with Caffra a cup of coffee and he only sold mugs for a pound he said I just want a cup and he argued with them and he said no you can only have a mug he, he walked out he wouldn't pay a pound so, <laughs> and he was playing his, his cards anyway and 
the, the idea is whoever's leading, you either put a heart on him or the Queen of Spades, which is worth 50 points. So I think we'd play about 10p a point. Anyway, so Jack's leading anyway, plays the cards, he puts a high card down, Alder plays a lower one, Cass plays a lower one. I hit him with the Queen of Spades. So he's gone, pick that up. I said, Jack, you're leading, that's the game, pick it up. I'm still fuming because I'm, I'm yeah. sub, by the way. Yeah. And in the end, he's deadly serious. He said, pick that card up. I said, no, Jack, you're deleted. He said, if you don't pick that card up, you're not sub today. And he was deadly serious. And I, I don't know whether, so I, yeah. so I picked the card up or don't. So I didn't pick the card up. I'm stubborn as well. So I'm, okay. anyway, so he said, right, you're not sub. And he was like, deadly serious. So we get to the game. So I don't know now whether I'm sub or not sort of thing. And it was only when the team sheet went in, Mick Byrne, the physio, comes and said, you're okay, you're, you're <laughs> sort of thing. It's like, in the European yeah, Championships. Yeah, championship. <laughs> yeah, came on um, second half, but uh, he was just, I don't know. Did you pick the cards up by the time you came on? Just, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, again, he was ahead of his time, I think. he We did press teams in, the, in their half, mm. which usually when you lost the ball internationally, everyone would get back behind the ball and then they keep the ball. We got it forward. They got the ball, we just pressed them, and we got good players. You know, we we're always yeah. going to create chances, sort of thing. So I think we caught, caught a lot of teams on the hop. Uh, Lansdowne Road, it looked good, the pitch from above, but teams get the, the train the night before, and it's like, down, particularly where me and Staunton played down the, the wings, there's like line outs from rugby games, it's all ruts and all things. So teams go then mentally, they, 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 they didn't fancy it to be, and then when we, we, we sprang on them and, and pressed them. What about Italia 90? You scored against England that first group game. Did you play a game of hearts before that game? Say, no, no cards, no cards before that one. You started that one and scored in that game. What was that like? It was great. I mean, as, as growing up, as we said at the start, you know, you were watching World Cups and all that. So as a, as a professional, to, to get the opportunity to, to play in one, um, it's 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 a different level to your your domestic game. Uh, so obviously England, the first game, there was loads of pressure. Uh, Jack was feeling the pressure because obviously we he'd won the World Cup mm -hmm. with them and all that. Um, and we went to Malta two weeks before the, the finals to acclimatise. I think it rained for about 12 days out of the 14. But funnily enough, on the night of the game, it was lashing down with rain as well. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was a typical derby game. Everyone knew each other, played with each other, played against each other. So it was a real terrible um, game. Wasn't terrible it? game. It was actually. <laughs> uh, Lineker scored um, early on. And then we just kept probing away. We had a couple of half chances. And then Steve McMahon had just come on as sub and he wasn't up to the speed. He got the ball early. He tried to play a square to Gary Stevens. I've intercepted it. I tried to slide Tony Cascarino in, got intercepted back to me, and then I just touched it and hit it. And as soon as I hit it, I knew it was in because you, you, yeah. you just thing in his bottom corner. Um, so, you know, to score in a World Cup, Ireland's first ever, ever goal, it's a piece of history that I'll always have. And just it got us a point, and eventually we, we ended up qualifying for the, the place. So, we just again, one of my I was going to say, when was the last time you bought a pint of Guinness? Then you had to put your hand in your pocket for it. You, must, you, must, uh, you mustn't have to worry about that. It was, it was. Uh, I, I did uh, have a lot of uh, three pints of Guinness on that. No, it was just great. I mean, and you, it was only afterwards that you saw what was happening over in in Ireland. You know, the, the reception we got back when we came uh, the, around Dublin, and we got to the end of O'Connell Street, and you, you know, again, no phones in those days but it's just it was 250,000 people so it's one of my best ever memories when you look in you know when you go to Dublin yeah. now I always have that image in my mind that's the quarterfinals of the World Cup I mean yeah. and you, you mentioned the goal you talked about the goal of the Pat Bonner obviously I must look back on that was all that separated you from Italy who, who the hosts were, were you know Baggio and Baresi and all these players you weren't that far away from being World Cup final potentially semi-final World Cup final well Jack said after the game and you didn't really he said, you'll never know how close you've come to get into the final because uh, Italy played 
Argentina in the semi-final mm-hmm. and they were an aging team they still had Maradona but they weren't the side they were in 86 where they were yeah. a good side of Maradona obviously carried him over the line um, and you, you you do think on that that it was it was a real tight game against it yeah. I think um, Quinny had a chance um, so yeah so you, you look back nothing to fear then Argentina and then West Germany beat them 1-0 in the final so it was you know I'd love to have seen Jack Charlton's game plan for uh, for stopping Maradona. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> we denied yeah. that. We denied that that pleasure. Yeah. So, so obviously after the after the World Cup, your, your career at Everton sort of winding down. When did the decision come that you were you were going to move on from Everton? Because you weren't you weren't sort of you weren't very old. You know, you were in your thirties, but you weren't. You could have carried on, I assume, for another couple of years. Yeah, it was it was it was um, a sort of sad way to to end my. Uh, Playing career at Everton, but I was one of those. I wasn't um, happy being a sub. I wasn't happy sitting in the stands. I wasn't playing regularly. Um, I'd got a, a letter of a, I could have a testimonial the following season, but as I've said, money isn't my god. Um, and I had the opportunity. Um, got a phone call off Terry McDermott, so Kevin Keegan had taken over at Newcastle. Mm. Um, they wanted me to sign there, so. Um, it was it was a hard decision to make. Um, I was overplaying for Ireland against Wales when I got the phone call, and it was a case of same thing: no advisor, no agents. Um, played the game and thought about it overnight. Travelled up to Newcastle the next day and, and signed. And it was just one minute in Everton playing. Yeah. Um, then uh, and it was looking back, it was a great decision. I loved my time up there. I was only there for a season and a half. We stayed up the last game of the season against Leicester, and then. Mm-hmm. Keegan bought Andy Cole, and that season we started. We won, won the first ten yeah. games. Um, I fell out of favour towards the end of the season, but I played enough games to, to win a champ a medal there. And just the atmosphere at St James's Park was brilliant. And again, um, I didn't. Stay, you know, I wish, wish I was there longer. What was the quality of the squad like? You mentioned Andy Cole. I think Barry Venison was in there. Lee Clark. Yeah. Rob Lee, yourself in there. Yeah. You know, what was the difference? You've gone from Everton to then the Championship, which Newcastle weren't at that time. What was the quality like then? Um, really good. Pavel Chernyshek, mm, yeah. uh, Brian Kilkine has signed. Steve um, Watson would have been there, wouldn't he, coming through as well? Steve Watson. Steve Watson, yeah, lads, yeah. Uh, Mickey Quinn was a striker. Kevin Peacock, Kevin Peacock, Kevin. Yeah, Peacock was yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Dave Kelly as well. Dave Kelly. Kevin Brock, Liam O'Brien. So they were all, they were like experienced, good players. Then with the young lads, Lee Clark, you mentioned Steve, Steve Watson, Steve Howie. Um, yeah. Good blend. Good blend. Well, um, what was Keegan like then in terms of because he he's got a certain reputation as not doing a lot of coaching. He's more of a man management. What how did you find him as a as a manager? Yeah, the same. He was he was he was a man manager. Um, Terry Mack was his assistant. Uh, Derek Fazakli was the coach. He did if there was any coaching getting done, Faz would do that. Um, and as I say, it was great full houses. We, we the first season we went there, we played Tramway and uh, we were like near the bottom, and it was. Ten thousand people locked out at St James's. It was, it was unbelievable. You wouldn't yeah. get that in many yeah. clubs. Um, and Passionate. then the next season, as I say, it was full houses all the way. We won the first ten games, um, and it was just the same sort of thing. You know, you're looking around the dressing room in that league. We were good players, sort of thing. Um, so yeah, it was a real, really, really enjoyed my time up there. To move it on again to Blackpool, you had a short spell there. How would you reflect on, on your time? I think looking back, the only way I can say it, it was sort of like it let me down comfortably from. Been playing at the top, uh, I think some players struggle to finish at the top, and then what now? Sort yeah. of thing, you know, financially, you know, they're fine, but actual the involvement. Um, so I've gone from Newcastle then to Blackpool. It wasn't a, a great move. Um, the, the manager didn't 
he thought I was there for another reason sort of thing. Who was that manager? Pillier. Um, okay. Uh, so he didn't really play me that much and he didn't, uh, he was uh, a bit negative, should we say. So it, it, I finished there and it was, I went straight into coaching. So I think it, it, that period I was there, sort of, I didn't fall out of love with the game, but it just helped me move into the next period of my life was, was going into coaching. Which was at Drummer? It was at Blackburn Rovers. Oh, Alan okay. Irvin was the uh, academy manager Alan there. Irvin, yeah. So I had a, a season and a bit there. Uh, we had the likes of young players, James Beattie, yeah. Damien Duff, Damien Johnson, David Dunn, Shay Given was in goal. <laughs> Um, what was Alan Irvine like? Because I loved him from from my career. I, yeah, I, I thought he was an absolutely brilliant coach. I thought he got the best out of players. Yeah, and, and I think that's what a lot of coaches struggle to do. Mm. You would get the most out of players. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Did you enjoy working with him? Yeah, well, I was good mates with Alan, and um, it was a uh, it was a bit fortunate because Terry Darracott was a mate of mine. He, he went into he was he was the coach there, and he went to get a knee replacement. So Alan said, "Well, Terry's going to be out of action for about six months. Do you want to come in and you know?" Uh, which was great for me and then when Terry comes back uh, that was it so Alan was really organised it was like spot on with his uh, preparation uh, methodical in what he was doing so it was a great learning curve for me just coming as a player mm. I'd done a couple of coaching badges but it doesn't put you really into uh, so I, le- I learned a, lo- a real lot off Alan um, Terry came back but he went to, he got the reserve job there at Blackburn so I stayed at another six months and then John Aldridge got the job at Tramway yeah. and a good mate with old John obviously with the Ireland and uh, he said do you want to come in as a, initially as a reserve team coach so I thought yeah I'll, I'll, I'll try that and then after about six months he made me uh, first team coach so at five seasons there we had some great cup runs it was nice. like a fortress mm. Tramway Dave Chandler with a long throw and all yeah, that yeah. it was just like teams didn't want to go was, come there in the cup what, what was the a little bit like Ireland I was going to say that Tramway because they were, they were very much underdogs they were very much up and at them you know they were they had they weren't particularly complicated tactics or anything like that. Was I, I, yeah. Aldo took a bit of Jack into his managerial career? Yeah, it was again. It was it just pressed them uh, high up. We, we we defended a real high line. Uh, got the ball in their box, long throws all all the time. We had the multi balls. So I think we won the first team, so I put that in. Sam Allardyce didn't like it, did he? So I used to like. I'd have to like do the ball, so I'd have to do the six and make sure the pressure was the same. So when we went before the game, you take a team sheet in, all the other coaches or managers going, those balls aren't the same pressure, so I had to make okay. sure. So they, went, they knew what was coming, so we had ball boys with towels, and it was just a case of they would just sprint and just launch it in the box, and it was just like a great weapon to have sort of thing. So, um, yeah. so as I say, teams really feared. We got to the quarter-final of the FA Cup, yeah. two seasons. Liverpool beat us 3-2. Yeah. Newcastle, was Newcastle one, beat yeah. us up there, 1-0 Pistone cross for Shearer. Uh, real tight games, and then we got to the, the Littles Cup final against uh, yeah. Leicester in 2004. One achievement, Darry, I mean, you look back on, on that tram, yeah, where they are now, Yeah. and you look back, they were at Wembley against in the League Cup final, and we're unlucky, unlucky not to win, yeah. not to get to extra yeah. time or to win it even. Yeah, we got Clint Hill, got sent off. Yeah. Still playing now. Yeah, yeah, he's a good, good career, Clint. Yeah, um, and again, real fond memories, real family club. Um, shame that you know where they are now, but I'm sure yeah. they'll they'll come back. Um, so great memories, you know, of the games and the atmospheres. You used to have full houses, the tram in Prenton Park, which which was great. So yeah, those experiences with you being involved there at Trammer, did that never give you the taste to be the main man or manager yourself? I've thought about it. I'd, I stepped in, although it was getting to his health. He he, he resigned, so I, I was caretaker for a four or five games. Um, it, it just went, um, um, Mike, Mike Newell, he got the Hartlepool job. Uh, I, I got interviewed, funnily enough, and 
we didn't know each of us were getting interviewed for it and we ended up in it was in uh, Newcastle the interviews we ended up parking in a multi-store car park at the same time on the same level <laughs> what we, are you doing we just looked at each other <laughs> just like laughed so anyway we both got the interviews he got the job when I was over in Greece commentating on an Irish game and got the phone call to say that I hadn't got the job and then about a couple of days later I got a phone call off and he said do, do you want to come up for assistant sort of thing like so I said yeah great so we went up uh, it was halfway through the season um, we were top of the league uh, was it went to Sheffield Wednesday um, goalkeeper, I can't think of his name now. Turner? Chris Turner, yeah, he went to um, Sheffield Wednesday. So um, we were on a hiding to nothing. You know, we, they were top of the league, expected to go up. Anyway, we ended up the season, we ended up runners up, still getting promoted, but lost out on the last game of the season to Rushton Diamonds. They they beat us up. We played, it was like final at their place, we got beat 2 1. So. Um, and Mike had fallen out with the chairman a little bit along the way, and there's only one winner when they fall out with the chairman. So I got a phone call in the <coughs> summer to say that he, he rang me to say he'd been been sacked. Um, so get one of those. You just sit tight, and then they they give you a phone call. And uh, so then I more or less came back from there, and then got the the phone call from Everton. So I've been fortunate. I've never been not yeah. not involved sort of thing. So as I say, I've been here ten years. And that's two thousand six. Yeah. That's, uh, not, is youth coaching then? Is that your is that the perfect career for you out, out outside the playing then in terms of that because you get to see the you get to be out on the pitch all, all the time hands on and you also get to see the, the development as well yeah I mean it's just one of those I would never say never but it would have to be something really special to to take me away from here I live locally yeah. I've always lived in Liverpool since I moved up so um, I love the area I love the place so it would have to be something really good to, to, to warrant me uh, moving from here I love working with the players you know the real the local lads particularly they're really passionate yeah. and they're, real, they're, they're the ones that win you the games on the Saturday they're the ones that, that train hard every day so um, and you just do you do your best for them because they, they work so hard and they're de so desperate to be to be players What's that biggest ingredient for a modern day player to make it do you think? I think they've got to be tough mentally I think a lot of players I've seen a lot of good talented players but they just can't handle the pressure, um, so it's, it's it's top of near the top or top of my list. The mental, the mentality, being able to deal. You know, when you're playing in big games or playing in games, things aren't going great. They're not always going to go good. And then what have you got to, to dig into? So I think the players, if they've got really one outstanding attribute, I think that's something they can fall back on. Talk about pressures. What about distractions? In your day, there wasn't the agent, social media, all these sort of things. How hard is it to to handle that with these young players? It is. I mean, I feel sorry for the players on, on that hand is that they, they can't move. Um, you saw what mentioned about what happened with Rooney. Uh, you're getting pictured everywhere, you're getting mm. photographed, you can't move, everything on, on social media. So it's a real different environment to what we, we were so fortunate that we were able to go. Uh, we could go into our local pub, socialise with the, the supporters if mm. they wanted to chat with you. Um, and that was it. But now it's, I think it's a no-go. Is, is that a big part of the guidance the club will give then for players in terms of how to... How to handle Twitter? How to handle if if you're getting asked for autographs in the streets and things like that? Is that is that part of the the guidance that the club will give? Yeah, it's part of the overall package. That, you know, you have to deal with that now. So they they have they get told you know what yeah. what's the, what the outcome of this is if you do this and you know say social media. So they they're trained in in that respect. So they they know what what what's out there. Yeah, I mean, you've talked about buzzers that you got as player. You know, scoring a goal, or winning a trophy, or playing in a big big atmosphere. How does it compare when you see? Ross Barkley, who you've you've dealt with as a young player, or a Jack Rodwell, or a you know a player like Tom Davis, for example, more recently. When you see them playing at Goodison, playing against the best players in the Premier League, where does that buzz come from for you? You must get must get a real sense of pride. 
You do because some of the lads are in his seven and eight, you know. So yeah. you, you 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 know the faces. You, you haven't coached them because they're the younger ones, but you see them grow up. Yeah. And then he, Tom was playing for the 18s when he was 16. He was he's what he is now. He was athletic. He could get about the pitch. He was a good player. So I had to leave like older boys out, but you, you've got to give them the pathway to get through. Mm. So when you see him doing what he's done since I've yeah. been coaching him at 16, doing exactly the same but better, uh, it, it's a re- it is a real buzz. You know, this is what what you do the job for. And as I say, but even lads that don't make it here, they make yeah. carving careers. You know, is I don't know. If, Someone counted how many players that have come through us are around playing is this load. So, and you, you, you still see the names, you still you yeah. know, look for them, you still want them to do well, and you hope they, they come back up, you know. Because if you view recent year, I'm not, you know, it's not one of those we made a mistake, it's at this moment in time, this is where you're at. But it's not to say that you, you know, yeah, you can't you, come back. Baines and Jags being two, it, two, two great examples indeed. of that, they were both yeah. in the same same youth team here over the yeah, couple years apart. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it's, it does happen. Mm. Um, obviously. I want to touch on on the health the health issue that you had um, four years ago now, yeah, 2012. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that and also the the, the campaign that you, you're obviously part of to to raise awareness for that. Yeah, it was about um, just over four years ago. I was sort of like going to the loo more often than than I should have done, and then noticing there was uh, there was blood in my poo, and. Um, my wife commented it was costing us a fortune in loo rolls sort of thing. So unfortunately for me, there was a, an advert on the radio uh, saying about if you've got symptoms, yeah. uh, which, well, I, had, I had one of the symptoms, so um, oh, I said, you better get to the GP. So I made an appointment, went, and I was so fortunate because he said, well, he sent me for blood tests, everything came back clear. And he, as I was about to go, he said, I'll send you for a camera test just to rule things out sort of thing. Anyway, went to have a camera test and they detected a, a tumour. Um, but I was sitting in uh, in the waiting room, not knowing that all the other people that had the test, they one by one they were going. I was I was left in there, and then another set of people who had the test come in, and one by one they were coming out. So you start to panic. Then you think this ain't right, and um, I had to ring my wife. They wouldn't give you the news until you. So I went away from my wife to come go into a room, and it just sort of said they detected a tumor. I don't know what else was said because it just mm. went over yeah, the head. So word, yeah. you you. you, you it's, it's panicky stuff. So, um, but what I did hear her say was, you know, that if you have got it, it's in a good place. So that gave me something to to hold on to. Um, I saw the the surgeon Paul Scaife the next the next day, and he, he said showed me in, in detail through it, you know, what, what it was. And he said it's in a good place, you know. So, um, so and I didn't have the operation straight away, which was another good sign. Usually, if, if they rush yeah, you in, you got it early enough. You got it got it early enough. So there's, there's more people needed in attention. So it was about three weeks. So you sort of things play over your mind, but fortunately I'm, I'm strong mentally. So um, it was only the night before that I had the operation. Um, Liverpool playing Dundee, and uh, I, I went into the room, room watching with some of the uh, people who have having operations the next day. Liverpool supporters and all that, and talking to them, and just did what uh, their symptoms were far worse than than what mine was. So I put put myself into. Uh, um, obviously feeling sorry for them but put my situation yeah. uh, so I had the operation the next day came round from it and uh, Paul the surgeon just said you know we've take, we removed the tumour everything else looks looks uh, looks fine so uh, they sent some stuff off to test and all that and I got the all clear uh, didn't need no chemotherapy radiotherapy uh, so they'd caught it at an early stage or I was fortunate 
since then, I've, uh, I'm an ambassador for Beaten Bowel Cancer. Uh, I try and raise as much awareness mm. as I can, and uh, I've received letters and people speaking to me that, having read about me and heard me, uh, they've gone to the doctors and been successfully treated. So that's really humbling. And I said at the time, if it just saves one person, then it's worth it. That's huge. Is now I'm, I'm just listening to you. The, the, the lesson is clear, isn't it? In terms of if you have any doubt, it's better to go and see a doctor than look a bit silly if you say there's nothing wrong with you than, than not go and, and, and leave it too late. It is, and it, they've asked me to do it because obviously uh, football supporters, just, just blokes in particular, yeah. they, they've buried their head in the sand, they're reluctant. I know one of my mates, he, 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 he went too late and, and he passed away. Um, and it is the message is, uh, don't be frightened. The earlier you go, I think it's about 90%. Uh, successfully treated if you yeah. if you present early early stages so it's it's vital that don't don't put put it off go see a gp um they're a lot better now i lost my mum she uh, she died of uh, bowel cancer she got diagnosed with irritable bowel cancer um i did some stuff for um stephanie moore bobby moore's yeah. wife and she said the same he got uh, diagnosed with that and uh but obviously it was too late for him as well. So um, if you do if you do present with early diagnosis, uh, you, you'll be successfully treated. You, you've overcome that tough time. How grateful are you for the way things are now? It's brilliant. It gives you a new lease of life. What used to be important before yeah. is no importance whatsoever now. Um, it's changed my, my outlook. I, I, was, I was always upbeat anyway, but it, it made me more that way because of what you know, what if sort of thing. So uh, I just take it each day as a as a new day and uh, so enjoy no more worrying about the M62 traffic jams and all that. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry oh, about yeah, yeah. We've covered a lot and I'm grateful for your time. Just wanted to finish with a few quick questions, if that's all right. No yeah. Best player you've played with throughout your career? It, Neville and Goal, uh, Kevin Ratliff, Peter E. Paul McGrath, um, Adrian Heath. Father side team. Great, great, great. Yes. What about best player you've played against? Played against was Bergomi, the right back for Italy. Oh, yeah. uh, he was typical Italian. Didn't usually I'd find a position where the, I, I, I could the, the fullback wouldn't get drawn out. He, he came with me all over the place, elbow, booted, kicked, everything <laughs> that you'd expect an Italian defender. So he was by far my. I uh, didn't get too much joy out of him. He was by far my most difficult opponent. Best mate from football. Best mate. Um, Kim Ratliff, Ian Snowden, um, they're the ones that uh, keep in regular contact with. Favourite ground to visit? Villa Park was always a lucky ground for me. I love playing there. For some reason, you, you do get your lucky grounds. I scored a few goals semi-final. there. Semi-final. Semi-final. I scored one in the league. Uh, we won 1-0. Um, so, yeah, so Villa Park. Who's the loudest in the changing room at half-time after the manager, the coaches have had their say? Um, Which player? Would always be vocal. Rats would always have a say, never would have a say, really would have a say. It was like Rats was the captain, yeah. but if you weren't doing it, anybody would get up and they'd give it to you sort of thing, like so, uh, which is a good healthy environment. Favourite game you've watched since finishing your playing career, whether that's for Everton, Ireland, even Hereford? Watched... Um, good question. Um, is the one game that sticks out? Probably recently with Ireland in the European Championships where uh, they oh, beat Italy 1-0. Yeah. I think that was uh, after Brady, a disappointing yeah. result. I went over and watched it in uh, uh, some function and uh, the, the atmosphere was brilliant. So, I mean, that was that was, that was uh, the, the most recent one. Yeah. And to finish with, your most pleasing memory from your career? Um, just to have spent nearly 10 years at, at Everton, uh, being part of its most successful team. So... The whole the whole period is you know good and bad, but just uh, being being around and uh, the big games and the supporters. So 
the whole the whole package. Brilliant. I've enjoyed that. Thank you for your yeah, time. Yeah, absolutely, Kevin. Kevin thank, pleasure. Thank um, thanks very much. Okay. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to the big interview. Very good.